The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I'm your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pod to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-monthly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 17 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Hello, hello, hello. Happy December. Thank you for coming back for another episode of Pod Chat Talking Dance. I hope that you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday and that you're starting to feel that additional holiday cheer as we approach the Christmas and Hanukkah season. Um, I have mostly gotten my voice back at this point. If you listened to the last episode, I had that sexy Rexy <laughs> radio voice because um, I lost my voice. It took me two and a half weeks to get my voice back. I wouldn't be surprised if I did some damage to my voice. Um, and I s- still am having a bit of residual like crackling in my in, in the sound that comes out of my mouth. So... Um, We'll see how that goes, but so if you hear, if my voice sounds a little weird still, it's because of that, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to not talk when your job is to talk all the time in loud rooms, um, but yeah, so for the Thanksgiving holiday, a week prior, our friend J-Ro took us on a trip to Buffalo, New York, and East Aurora. My husband is obsessed with the Roycroft Inn and their... Uh, I learned so much while we were there. We did so many tours, Um, but don't I sound so happy about that? Um, No, it it was fun. Uh, But no, uh, the arts and crafts movement was started in East Aurora, uh, which is about a half hour, 15 15 minutes to a half hour south of Buffalo. So we spent a couple days in Buffalo, went to Niagara Falls, and then spent a night at the Roycroft Inn and did a bunch of tours and then headed back down to Philadelphia uh, to spend thanksgiving with my family but yeah so that came at the perfect time november was just a really hard month and uh, i had been so sick and i just needed like a week to not care about anything and to relax and not feel like i had to talk so um i finally got my voice back last wednesday what is it it's wednesday now as you know i record these uh in advance of friday when it when it these episodes typically go up um but yeah, it it took me a really long time to get my voice back. So it's back. <laughs> All right, let's see what is going on. This Sunday, I have a piece showing at Broadway Dance Center's Pro Semester Showcase. I got the opportunity this to work with this Pro Semester group, uh, which is like a gap four-month gap period that's supposed to help pre-professionals bridge that I think I just said gap, so I'm going to say it again, but they bridge the gap between like pre-professional and professional. So um, some nice talent in this group, and I got to choreograph a, a piece for them, and it will sh- it'll be at the Alvin Ailey City Group Theater, which is actually where my company is launching in February um, this coming Sunday. And there are two shows, 5 p.m. and 8 
uh, 5.30 p.m. and 8 p.m. Look at me not knowing when anything's happening. Um, but yeah, so that's happening. I'm excited about that. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited and curious to see how like the community responds because I'm kind of known as a ballet teacher at Broadway Dance Center. Um, and the piece is a very contemporary piece. So hoping to, you know, surprise some people in that one. What else? I'm teaching at the Broadway Dance Center Winter Intensive for 12 to 21 year olds. Uh, that's the week. It's like the 27th through the 31st, I believe. It's the last week of December. Um, if you are curious about that, so you can reach out to Broadway Dance Center to sign up for that. What else? I've been doing so much preparation for the Movement Headquarters launch. Um, this past Tuesday was Giving Tuesday, and uh, it is end of the year giving, so I should mention this. If you are looking to make a charitable contribution to a not-for-profit organization where you can get tax-deductible benefits, please do consider Movement Headquarters in your end-of-the-year giving. If you missed Giving Tuesday this past week, uh, you got the whole month to, to make sure that you get uh, – you, you, Give as much as you can um, to make sure that you are in your appropriate place for taxes. If you want to make a donation to Movement Headquarters, you can go to our website, which is www.movementhqballet.org. Again, that's www.movementhqballet.org. And you can go to our donation page and there's a link there so you can make a donation. All right. I would love you for a million years if you do that. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, no, if, if that's something that's on your radar, please do consider us. Um, what else? I'll be teaching some privates this month. I, I'll have some extra time for private lessons and choreography. Um, and then January and February are going to be crazy. So if you want to get me in to teach masterclass or private lessons or choreography, uh, you know how to get in contact with me on my website. All right. Those are our announcements. Our, uh, our headlines. So what am I going to talk about today? Well, it is the season of Nutcracker. It's the holiday season, and I am constantly reading periodicals about dance. I'm a bit of a bunhead, a bit of a nerd when it comes to dance. That's, you know, why they gave me this podcast thing. But so I I was reading uh, an article that was recently in Point Magazine that inspired me to talk about Nutcracker today. And this article, it was something along the lines of uh, lessons that dancers learned when they didn't get the roles that they wanted in Nutcracker. So I thought that I would give you the lessons that I've learned throughout my entire dance life, uh, which is pretty much like a very, very long time, practically most of my life. But yeah, I figured that I would tell you lessons that I've learned from Nutcracker since I started performing the Nutcracker. How old was I when I first did Nutcracker? I think I was Fritz. And I was seven, eight. Mm. See, this is what happens. You get older and you can't remember these things. I need to go back and look. Maybe I was a soldier first. Anyway, that was seven years old. Okay, cool. So here are the lessons that I have learned through Nutcracker. All right, so Uh, The first one, and these are in no particular order. It's not like I went from like the first lesson I learned to like the lesson I learned this past year. Um, A clear system of evolution is extremely helpful in setting goals and inspiring anybody, but especially youth. Um, Essentially, the way that it works is when you look at schools, whether they're recreational schools 
or they are professional schools that are attached to companies, um, over time, you start to see that there's like a clear lineup of how casting happens. So it's like when you're really young and you're newer or you're less, uh, less trained, the typically those kids will do like the angels and the the beginning of the second act and then maybe the next year there'll be a uh, a party kid or a mouse and then the next year there'll be a party kid and then the next year if they really really worked hard and did really well then they could become clara um then once they start getting on points they might do uh waltz of the flowers but like the if there are lots of flowers they could be like <clears throat> backline or they could be, they only come on for a few sections as opposed to the whole piece. Then maybe they go into snow, and then maybe they evolve into marzipan, and maybe they evolve into dewdrop, into sugar plum. So uh, because of the way that roles are set up in Nutcracker, and because most schools do some version of Nutcracker, at least in the United States, during the holiday season, it really gives a nice rank and file, a way that you can see like, this is where you are now, and if you keep up the hard work, uh, you'll get here. You'll, you can move up to this. So it, it really provides a nice marker for success, inspiration for achievement, and I think that that really allows kids to sort of learn how to set goals and then work to achieve them, and then if they do achieve them, great, and if they don't achieve them, learn how to cope with not reaching those goals and then use that as inspiration to try harder the next year. So uh, that was one thing that I, one of the first things that came to my mind. Um, <laughs> oh, this is a good one. The same thing that inspires you can also burn you out. This is a really good lesson from Nutcracker. I remember when I was a kid, I was so excited about Nutcracker season. Um, we, I think the first year that I did it, we only did two shows. Then over time, it evolved to three shows. We might have even done four shows at one point. And then when I was in what was it? Was it eighth grade, ninth grade? Um, I did the Russian Ballet Theater of Delaware's Nutcracker plus my home studio's Nutcracker. They did eight shows at Russian Ballet Theater, and I think we did two at my my home studio. So I did ten shows that year. I remember being like, "Wow, I get to do ten shows of Nutcracker. This is the best thing on earth." It was so exciting. I loved it. I love the music. I remember the dances from the years past. I was, I was excited about moving forward into bigger, new, and bigger roles, and. Then I remember joining Houston Ballet and being like, oh my God, I get to do 30 something not shows of Nutcracker. We only did about 30 shows there. Um, I thought that was so cool. And then I got to PNB and then we did like 40 shows my first year. And then by the third year, we did like 45. And finally, at that point, the excitement of Nutcracker very, and, and the inspiration of Nutcracker very quickly started to turn to burnout because. You already, it's like you sort of had an idea of what you were in for and how exhausted you would be. And um, it was like, it was exciting to come back to Nutcracker every year, but you had this like very, very cautious optimism at first because you knew it would only last a week or two. And then you would have to cope with exhaustion and soreness and fatigue of just like hearing the music and all that. So it's a really valuable lesson to learn that, uh, something that you love and inspires you can also burn you out. My my husband and I have a joke that we we kill food. I'm not saying that we like hunt and go out and you know kill animals and like cook them and eat them. Um 
what I'm saying is if we really enjoy something like a drink or a specific type of meal, like you can order at a restaurant or get like the grocery store, we tend to go like all out for like three months to six months and then we burn out on the food or the drink and then we never drink it or eat it ever again. Um, we're really good at that. So Nutcracker can be very much like that. Um, what else? Okay. Uh, oh, this is a go. And it takes one positive experience to change the trajectory of anybody's life. I can't tell you how many people uh, have stories of not even being in the Nutcracker, but going to their first Nutcracker and just seeing how magical it was and being so inspired that they started dance classes and that from that moment they knew that they wanted to be a professional dancer. Um, or a kid that maybe wasn't so into dance and but they their parents made them do nutcracker uh each year and maybe like the fifth or sixth year in they got to meet a professional that came in from big company and when they met them and they saw how nice they were and how amazing they were as a performer that uh positive experience changed their mindset and all of a sudden they wanted to really focus on dance and try to have a career versus uh just, you know, doing it as an after school activity. So yeah, it really just takes one positive experience to change the trajectory of anybody's life. I, um, I don't remember (laughs) the first time that I ran into my sister's dance class and that the teacher and the teacher let me stay. But, um, I kind of all always knew, but I, I like that I wanted to do something with dance. Um, but it, it must have been very positive that first time that I was in the studio. So, yeah, that's something to keep in mind. I remember when uh, one of the last years that I was freelancing and I did, I think I did The Cavalier. So that's the Sugar Plum Fairy's partner. Um, I think we had like a tech, a dress, and then six shows. And this is like... Thursday through Sunday and I was just dying and I was doing nutcrackers every weekend. So it's like I did maybe like four the first weekend, like four the next week, six this week. And then, uh, these aren't including rehearsals and then maybe three the following week. I was exhausted. And I remember, uh, just really not feeling festive. Um, but then I had to do these like meet and greets and sign, uh, sign kids programs and to see like how excited and thrilled and in all these kids were I, it reminded me that it was my responsibility to help create this positive experience for them and that helped me get through the the challenges of nutcracker what else okay strong tradition i can talk strong traditions often evolve but rarely die um, I feel like a lot of people think that traditions uh, like are becoming less common, especially here in the United States, where we are a melting pot and maybe an immigrant family moved to the U.S. 40 years ago and they had very strong uh, tra- ties and traditions to their uh, like their national background or their religious background. Um, and then over the years, I've heard families say how uh, the traditions get watered down or they get lost, but there are always a few that survive. Um, I feel that this is the same with Nutcracker. Uh, they're, they're, we're kind of in this period over the last like five or 10 years where a lot of companies that had a very, uh, that had very unique 
Nutcrackers, um, they are trying to update and keep audiences interested. Uh, maybe the first director or second director of the companies made a Nutcracker that was famous. This happened at Pacific Northwest Ballet with Kent Stoll. There was Ben Stevenson's Nutcracker at Houston Ballet. The Joffrey Ballet had Robert Joffrey's Nutcracker. Um, and there were a handful of others across the country. But over the last 10 years, a lot of these ballet companies have updated their Nutcracker. Unfortunately, in my opinion, a handful of them have gone to Balanchine. And I just think that that becomes very generic and boring that like you can go to any city in the country and see Balanchine's Nutcracker. I love the idea that like you get to see a taste of um, the culture of a city through their Nutcracker. So like for instance, um, I really respected that the Joffrey Ballet reached out to Christopher Wilden to do their Nutcracker. Um, I just love that idea. So yeah, uh, it's okay to update and it's okay sometimes to change, but you, you can see they're not getting rid of Nutcracker. They are just evolving Nutcracker. So um, a lot of people say that ballet is dying and I, I don't think that that's possible. It's such a strong tradition in our cultures and uh, Nutcracker is just a little bit of proof of that. All right, I have a few more of these for you. So hopefully you're still listening. Uh, lessons that I have learned through Nutcracker. Some of them are positive, some of them are not. <laughs> I am not here to be sugarcoated all the time. Um, what is this? Oh, you can sell the same product from year to year, but as long as there is nostalgia involved, people will buy it. Um, <laughs> that's very true. Uh, with Nutcracker, like, if some companies did uh, Swan Lake every single year, I'm sure that over time, um, people will stop showing up. Hint, hint, American Ballet Theater. Um, <laughs> but the yeah, so there there are certain certain things that if you add nostalgia to it, it will stay. Swan Lake, yes, it may have nostalgia personally for people, but there's no like nostalgia with like times of the year nutcracker is nostalgic to christmas and the music is nostalgic to christmas um so when the sun starts going down earlier it starts getting dark earlier it starts getting colder um and thanksgiving passes people want to start to get in the mood of the holiday season and a lot of getting in the in that mood for the holiday season is the nostalgia of the happy memories and good feeling memories you have of the past so uh the nutcracker some somehow found its way into holiday culture so um that's why nutcracker comes back every year and it sells out every year and it pays the salaries for dancers and companies every year um, it's because there's nostalgia involved. So that's, that's probably some really great marketing advice, probably not easy advice. Um, no, sorry, not, not easy to do, but to be able to inject nostalgia into anything will probably make sure that people keep on coming back for more because it will become a part of a tradition. Um, <laughs> And that's why strong traditions often evolve, but rarely die. You see what I did? I tied those together there. I am so smart. 
I'm really just playing. It's really late. This is what happens. If I podcast past 11 o'clock at night, I just start saying crazy things and you get like a pretty much like a goofy podcast instead of a serious one. Okay, back on track. Let's see. No matter how small or large a school or organization is, dancers don't often enough see the big picture. Um, and I call this the Clara conundrum. And this is what, something that I, I learned. It's relevant at all times, but I learned this through Nutcracker. Um, and if you've heard this before, you can fast forward a little bit, but it's been a long time since I've talked about it. The Clara conundrum is how <laughs> every school, every company, there's a, a little girl in those, those schools, the recreational schools, the pre-professional schools, and they they all want, all those little girls want to be Clara. And Clara is like the star of the show, the Sugar Plum Fairy, but Clara is like the driving force from the beginning. She is why the whole ballet happens, or Marie, depending on which production you do. Um, so what happens is all these little girls, all they care about is becoming Clara. And then if I, so I was telling you about that, like hierarchy, how over the years, like maybe you're an angel first, you go to a mouse, you go to a party kid and maybe you become Clara. What happens is a lot of parents see this like line, this like straight line to Clara. And the thing is like most schools, and companies can only have like one to three Claras, depending on how many times they perform. Um, but there's like dozens or hundreds of children involved in these productions. And so what ends up happening almost every year is a handful of people freak out when their their kid is not given the role of Clara because they felt like they had gone through the process and that they deserve to be there. And it becomes a big deal. Sometimes people even leave schools or they're miserable or they stop dancing because of it. Um, but so the conundrum is that really in reality, <laughs> this is one small role. I mean, it's a, it's a leading role, but it's one role in the entire possibility of somebody's dance career. Um, and also it's like that big fish, little pond feeling. Um, chances are it, it will feel if you don't get the role of Clara, it will feel like one of the biggest deals, like how, what a horror I've seen parents scream at directors who think that, and teachers who think that their, their kids should have been cast as Clara because they put in the work. Um, but what they don't realize is that it's really not that big of a deal. Um, yes, it would be exciting. It's nice to have your face on a program, um, or in ads or things like that. But, um, there is so much more beyond a small school. We get so caught up within the culture of exactly that one place that we are that we forget that there's a much bigger picture than just becoming Claire. It's uh, That will not be the pinnacle of most people's dance careers, whether their dance career is not professional, whether it's just an amateur dance career up until high school or their professional dance career. So that was one thing that I learned uh, throughout the years with Nutcracker, just watching people freak out because their kid didn't get the role of Clara and not realizing that they're in a small, tiny recreational school. And if they were in a much larger school, uh, chances are they wouldn't, <laughs> they might not even get on stage. So it's just one of those, like kind of put you in your place moments when you, you sit there and you realize that the Clara conundrum is, is real and that it, it, it shouldn't affect you. Just keep on putting in the work, set your goals, 
hope for those things, work for those things. And if it doesn't work out, reset your goals. And then if you uh, age out of Claire, find a new goal. <laughs> um, now this one relates to, this is another lesson. Um, sometimes casting has nothing to do with talent and everything to do with who fits in the costume. Um, <laughs> so that also goes into the Claire conundrum. There's uh Especially for comp- uh, for schools who don't have typically have wardrobe departments, usually it's f- wonderful parents who are donating their time. Um, some who are learning how to sew on the fly. Um, but yeah, so what happens is uh, as most schools don't have enough money to repurchase a new Claire costume every year. Um, so what happens is maybe you were being looked at to be Clara like the year prior and you're doing really, really well and they want to make you Clara, but you grew too much and they, they thought you wouldn't grow so fast and now they can't use you as Clara because you're too tall for the costume and they can't afford to buy you a new one. That goes into the Clara conundrum. Maybe sometimes your casting has nothing to do with your talent <laughs> and everything to do with the fact that you don't fit into that costume any longer. So that was a valuable lesson. Um, there are certain roles that there's, I mean, it, this is the arts and I know that there are always clauses that say like, we do not discriminate based off of race, gender, sexuality, sexual orientation, um, this or that. I don't remember the exact clause. Um, but the thing is to a degree, maybe they are discriminating based off of if you fit in the costume or not. <laughs> so <laughs> There's a simple way around it. Um, so if you are upset about casting, maybe, yes, of course, ask if you can talk about it and get some feedback. Um, but don't be surprised if that feedback is you grew out of the of the ability to fit that costume. Um, so yeah, that's that. Okay. Another lesson I learned through the Nutcracker. Not everybody can do the same thing 45 times in 30 days and come out unharmed both physically and emotionally. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I, I think that generally the evolution of most kids who do not cracker is sort of like build your ability to do multiple performance. Not, there are not tons of children that are in these major professional schools like New York City Ballet, School of American Ballet, where they have like 50 shows of Nutcracker a year and they have three different children's casts, which means you're going to do about 15 to 20 shows, um, which is still a lot for a kid. Um, but yeah, so there's sort of this like emotional development and physical development that has to take place for you to be able to handle a load like this. But even like the professionals end up like breaking, you end up like twisting an ankle, <laughs> having meltdowns in between shows. Um, some people develop like severe stage fright or stress, uh, anxiety around it, um, it's it's not easy. Um, and one thing that I've been having a conversation a lot lately, or having a conversation about a lot lately, because teaching at Broadway Dance Center, I interact with a lot of Broadway dancers and nationally touring dancers with uh, like former Broadway productions or current Broadway productions on tour around the country and the world. Um, I always say, and there are a handful of ballet dancers that have like now made that transition into Broadway. And I'll, I'll be like, so, okay, when we would do like 40 shows of Nutcracker, like we would lose our mind. But when you're doing a Broadway show, you're doing eight shows a week if you're in the chorus. Um, and then that just keeps on going until either your contract is up or until you decide to leave the that company. Um, and I was like, 
is it the same? And they're like, well, it's a, com- it's a completely different beast. Yes, it is challenging in the same way, but there, it's not like, oh, I'm going to get to the next lesson that I learned and I'm going to tie it in. Okay, I'm going to come right back to that one. Okay, don't forget, 45 times in 30 days, not everybody can come out unharmed. Um, this is another lesson. Nutcracker music is everywhere during the holidays. It is everywhere. It haunts you. It is literally inescapable. You dance to it on the stage. It's on your t- your favorite TV shows. Then between your TV shows, it's in the commercials. It's in movies. It's on the radio. It's in the hallways of malls. It's in restaurants. It's in stores. You cannot get away from Nutcracker music. It will follow you wherever you go. Um, I remember once at the end of Nutcracker in Houston after my first year, I was in a restaurant and they were playing Nutcracker music and nobody else was in the restaurant. And I was like, can you please just for the next half hour play something else? And they did. They were very nice. Um, if I owned that restaurant, I would have been like, screw you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Nutcracker music is everywhere. And that was one thing going back to the last lesson um, that I was talking about. Um, a lot of the Broadway dancers say the one thing that does make it a lot easier is the fact that you don't have to listen to the show music at all when you're not on stage. So with Nutcracker, you can't get away from it, but say that you're doing Moulin Rouge, you're not going to like hop on the bus, turn on the radio and like have your Moulin Rouge music playing it's very, very unlikely. So um, that's a big difference. It's the idea that you can get away, you can escape the production when you're doing it over and over and over again. Or with Nutcracker, it's kind of in- inescapable for an entire month. So yeah, uh, I have one last one, and then that's the end of today's episode. So part of the reason that ballet will never die is because we create real-life magic on stage. And one of the reasons young kids want to jump into a dance studio is because they want to know what it feels like to step on stage and experience real-life magic. Nutcracker has so much real-life magic in it, so to watch it, you see it, you see this magic and then to have the opportunity to go on stage, you're a part of that magic and you get to actually like experience some of it for real. Some of it, obviously you're like putting on, but other parts of it are for real, like snow falling indoors. That's crazy. And it happens. Yes. It gets in your mouth and it tastes nasty. Um, cause it's flame retardant. Um, <laughs> but, uh, snow falling inside, uh, dolls waking up and dancing, um, human-sized mice running around stage, cannons firing, and <laughs> people floating and flying around. There are few things in life where you get to live something that is really, truly magical. And as a, as a ballet dancer or a contemporary dancer or a Broadway dancer or whatever type of dancer you are, you get to be in a magical world for the the time that you're on stage. Um, and there aren't too many places in, in, in this world that you can say that, or I don't know, careers where you can say that, like you get to create magic. Yes. You might know the trick, the, the magic tricks, but you are, you, you are part of magic and it's just amazing. And the nutcracker is that that's part of the reason why so many people say like the nutcracker is, 
the production I saw because it was a tradition and I was young and it was so magical. It inspired me to take dance classes and I wanted to be that sugar plum fairy. I wanted to be Claire. I wanted to be the nutcracker. I wanted to be the jumping Russian dancer. Um, and it, it's, it's all because it's magic. So look at that. Oh, I love it when I end on that like feel good note. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't love that stuff? So yeah, I hope that you guys have a wonderful holiday season. Hopefully you'll get in to see a nutcracker or two. Um, I, this is my first year that I'm actually not participating in a nutcracker. Uh, since I was a little kid, I, uh, didn't Drosselmeyer the last year. I did the Cavalier and prior to that for a few years and then my freelance career and my performance career and my training career and all that. Like it's, it's weird. I, I did ballet master for Brooklyn ballet is nutcracker for a month while their, their, uh, regular ballet master was uh, working at dance lab, New York. Um, so I have been hearing Nutcracker music and helping other dancers prepare to go on stage, but this is the first year in a long time that I won't be on stage. And you want to know what? I'm okay with it. I, I do hope that in the future that I, I do have more opportunities to do character roles. I, I'm definitely um, happy not uh, having to pull on those white tights right now, <laughs> um, but I would love to get back on stage and do like Drosselmeyer, something like that. Um, but, you know... I'm happy not to do it this year and it's, it's giving me a year to like really appreciate, uh, not being in it so that I, I feel like I'm going to miss it a little bit if I don't do it again next year. So, um, yeah, I hope that you guys have, uh, fantastic performances if you are dancers and if not, I hope that you go and, and check out a production. Um, I'm pretty sure I will have. I, I'll be podcasting in two weeks from now. Probably going to take the week off after that for the holidays, like Christmas, New Year's, Hanukkah, Hanukkah, um, and then I will podcast through most of January, and then I will probably be away for the three weeks that I am rehearsing my company for our official company debut. Um, that will be happening at the Alvin Ailey Citigroup Theater on February 16th. We have a 2 p.m. show and a 6.30 p.m. Uh, show. Tickets will be going on sale next week, so I will make sure that I update you on that. But it's going to be insane. Things are already insane, and we're almost, what, we're, we're more than two months out, and I have no free moments. Um, so I'm going to give myself the okay, and I hope that you will give me the okay to not podcast as I prepare for that but I'll be back after that. So um, don't worry, you'll be hearing a lot from me. There just might be a, a week or two that I take off here and there. So um, yeah, I will talk to you guys in a couple weeks. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod to Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorlis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerolis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique, for choreography, or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Corollis, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to check out my blogs. I have Life of a Freelance Dancer on lifeofafreelancedancer.blogspot.com. 
and I wrote on there for five years about working as a freelance artist and an independent contractor. I also have Dancing Off Stage, and you can find that at dancingoffstage.wordpress.com. And on there, I talk about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. I also have a YouTube channel if you would like to check out my choreography, and you can find that by going to youtube.com, going to the search bar, and typing in B Corollas. Thanks for listening in to Pot of Chat. I hope you return two weeks from this Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.